Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. All right, everybody, welcome back. Hashing it out. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Corey Petty, and we can welcome back my co-host, Colin Couchet. Say what's up, everybody, Colin. What's up, everybody, Colin? Nice. Got the old got the old team back. Uh, yeah. Today, we're going to bring you a uh, different, maybe, content. Same, same style, not as developer-focused, but kind of developer-focused. We have uh, Gabriel Anderson from Consensus Tachyon, uh, part of Consensus Labs, to discuss... What it's like to make the jump between I'm an engineer, I want to start a business, shit. Um, Gabriel, why don't you give us a quick, quick introduction as to like how you got introduced into the space and uh, what we're working on now? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I can definitely re- relate with that oh shit moment. Uh, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I'm uh, managing director of Tachyon, which is uh, the blockchain focused accelerator for early stage startups in the ecosystem. It's part of the um, the ventures arm at consensus. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I would say, um, uh, you know, how I got into the space. Well, truthfully, there, there are two versions of the story. There's the, uh, not suitable for adults version. And then there's the PG 13 version. Um, I'll, I'll stick to the, P, the PG 13 version of this for, for now. Um, I, uh, I spent years of a mis- misspent youth in, uh, in finance, um, at, uh, at Merrill Lynch and the institutional cash management desk. And, uh, and then I left and started my first couple of companies. Um, the first two failed miserably. Uh, one was a fintech, fintech company. The other one was a, a retech company. Um, and, uh, my third company finally got a little bit of traction. So, uh, you know, I'm, I've, I've been kind of in the startup scene for quite a long time. Um, and then, uh, and then spent the last six and a half years kind of entrepreneur in residence at a company called VaynerX, VaynerMedia. Uh, and doing a lot of early stage startup growth type of stuff for our, um, our venture back portfolio. Uh, and one of my good friends who's now, um, today the, uh, one of the partners of, of consensus, uh, labs is a guy named Sean Chang, just a phenomenal human being. Um, you know, the, the kind of guy that, um, that, uh, is really good about, you know, finding people who, who are curious about things and, and, uh, always, always there to lend a hand and give, give a, a valuable resource. Uh, so Sean and I were having dinner one night and. I was highly, highly skeptical of uh, of the crypto uh, uh, space, at least from a, like a financial asset standpoint. So Sean was my buddy that I would go to, and we would have these really late night conversations. And so one in particular over Thai food and and uh, a ton of wine. Uh, um, you know, we we started talking about a couple of, of aspects of blockchain that I was really curious in. So so blockchain was something that I was uh, kind of uh, pecking around the edges, kind of during my nights and weekends. Um, and, uh, he goes, well, you know, what, what makes you, what, what are you interested in? Like what, what part of blockchain is most interesting uh, to you? And I was really, really interested in, um, in tokenizing real world assets, 
and, uh, and, and market discovery for hard to value assets. And so he dropped a white paper on, on me. I think it was, um, if I remember correctly, it was the Dharma uh, white paper. Okay. Uh, j just as I'm heading to <laughs> to Toronto with my, my girlfriend for the weekend, and I ended up holding into a uh, in, into our Airbnb uh, living room for the entire weekend reading white papers. I came back to him the following <laughs> weekend, and <laughs> and I was like, "Hey, uh, you know, <laughs> all right, I'm I'm kind of hyped. Let's 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 talk about this." So I, I've been at Consensus for uh, since January, uh, and um, uh, and now running our our ventures uh, uh, accelerator program, Tachyon. All right. So why don't we give a quick introduction as to what Tachyon is? Like, what's the what's like the offer that Tachyon provides that um, may be different than anything else? Sure. Yeah. So Tachyon, uh, I'm, I'm assuming your audience probably knows Consensus, but uh, yeah, consensus. everyone knows Consensus. Okay. okay <laughs> At least great. everyone in my uh, audience, I think. Okay. So within Consensus, we have a venture arm, ventures arm, which is um, Consensus Labs. We've incubated and in, in invested in you know north of 100 projects. Um, some of the key pillars within the ecosystem: Infura, and MetaMask, and Truffle Suite, Pegasus, Nuo. Uh, Etc. Um, Tachyon uh, is our full-time 12-week accelerator program. Uh, this upcoming track is dedicated to founders in open finance um, who are building more open, interoperable, and programmable financial systems and services. Um, and so as a part of the program, we uh, have just a laundry list of just really stellar, both internal mentors within the consensus network, but also external networks uh, to really help our, our companies, our startups, um, you know, uh, uh, open up their network and and uh, and help them get their first couple of customers. Uh, we give access to capital. Uh, so we, we invest $150,000 into these companies in exchange for 7%. Um, and we just give them an unlimited amount of network support uh, over that 12-week program, mostly through uh, mentorship one-on-ones uh, and getting them ready, uh, ultimately, to, to come out of the program ready to scale and grow and, and be successful, including getting them ready for any investor conversations uh, that they'll be having. So is this a local program? People have to move to New York to do this type of thing? It is, yes. So um, that was one of the really big learnings coming out of uh, our first two programs. Uh, we, we originally had a remote program. And one of the things that our founders told us time and time again is, um, is the, the thing that the program really lacked is, as a remote program was that intensity, um, that focus, and that, and that uh, connection to, to the network. Uh, and so as a part of the redesign for Tachyon 3, uh, we decided we wanted to make this a local program. Um, and so uh, we increased the amount of capital that we'll put into companies just because we understand, you know, living expenditures and et cetera in, in, uh, in New York can be a little expensive. But, um, but just knowing that we need to create a very intense program uh, for these companies, get them in, into a room with, uh, one, the, uh, the customers, the stakeholders that they'll be in, interacting with, the mentors that they'll be accessing, but also just uh, with one another. I mean, starting a company is really, really ridiculously fucking hard. Uh, I've done it a number of times. And, um, and so being able to, to be in the trenches with other people who are in the program, who are building, uh, working on their vision, working on their company, uh, and then and being able to reach out for help from the mentor network, I think is something that um, we were really excited about as a part of this this redesign. Uh, and it's it's been one of the core tenants uh, of the program. And and in fact, some of the um, some of the founders in, in one and two reached out and said, "Wow, we really love the the way that you guys redesigned this program. We're, we're really excited about this." And we've got several of them coming back to mentor, including uh, Varun from the Nuo team and and, uh, and several others. So yeah, yeah, I've, I've talked with VCs in the past and. More often than not, um, what interests me most is the process in which you have to try and decide um, what type of thing you're going to invest in 
and then how you filter through all the stuff that's currently available to find teams yep. that you think are going to give you the, the the highest return, if you will. Like, what yep. what are you trying? What are you trying to enable? And then how do you find teams to enable those things? Yeah, yeah. I think <clears throat> so. It, yes, it, you know, if I if if we put our venture investor hat on, um, uh, you know, it, it is about finding uh, teams and projects that will be be successful. But um, you know, I've been on the other side of that equation and. There is nothing worse in the world than working on something for several uh, months, several years sometimes, especially if you're investing all of your nights and weekends hours into it and uh, it not turning into anything. I I've done that a couple of times. Uh, and and um, yeah, that, that's heartbreaking for, for everybody involved. So I think uh, the key is, uh, and we do a lot of this advising, um, even with some, some companies that come into the program, they have an idea, we help them reevaluate their idea, we help them really reevaluate reevaluate their marketplace. I think, you know, to, to answer the question, the thing that we look for more than anything are ambitious founders who have technical skills, but also, especially today, uh, some business instincts. And I think, you know, as we step back and look at the key variables that time and time again, predict whether or not a team or a project or a company will succeed, um, it comes down to, I think, four key variables. The first is the team, right? So uh, a team that has the, the grit and the persistence, um, and, and has a bias towards action and execution. Um, from there, we look at the product that they've built, right? And, and, uh, and, and we really want to take a good look under the hood and make sure that, um, you know, you're working on something uh, that is viable. Uh, but products don't exist in a vacuum. So the third thing that we look at is the market that you're trying to sell that product into. Uh, and so there's all kinds, of, there's an alphabet soup of things uh, that we could talk about, you know, from Tom's to Sam's to Psalms, you know, which is basically just looking at, um, you know, the, the market that you've identified, the set of customers that your, your product solves, uh, that, that you're servicing, is this what's called the, the product market? Do you have product market fit? Is this, the, is this the right idea, the right solution for this set of customers and their particular problems? Um, and then lastly, where I've spent uh, years of my career is looking at traction. Can, you know, are you able to, to get people to use your product and give you feedback are you able to, to get traction in the market that your product is serving? Um, and so I think those are the, the four key variables. There's a fifth that all uh, investors or, or venture capitalists or accelerator programs look at, which is, which is kind of the investment terms, what your cap table looks like. But um, at this stage of, of companies, it's really those are the key variables that, that really matter. What about timing? So one of the things that I noticed when, uh, when, when, uh, oh, for instance, let me just sk skip past my own anecdote and just go straight to like you, there were three YouTubes before YouTube, man. That's right. Like, and, and like, you know, it's all about timing. And the thing that made the difference is the fact that the technology was actually there to support the idea. Yeah, so you have the idea, you can have the team, you can have, you can have the ability to gain traction, meaning that they were actually gaining users for the time. Yeah. But the, you know, the time was also such that the users didn't scale because they didn't have broadband yet. Um, they yep. didn't have big data storage or video processing technology wasn't fleshed out that well. Um, you know, th these kind of wasn't even like, big data when YouTube, I think first came out, it was just, well, did they run off hoops? Whatever. Um, the point is, is that like timing is also a huge part oh, of yeah. things off the ground. It's like almost the most important part um, from, from I, what I've seen, you know? Um, so what is your- Yeah, Colin, you were so right. I, I was one of the early, early users to RedCam. I don't know if you remember wow. them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I got one of our one of our one of our clients uh, over a million views on Redcam. 
uh, which, uh, you know, if, 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 there, if, if it was an advertising model, right, that would have been worth tens of thousands of adverti free advertising dollars. Uh, and uh, those, those views, those impressions became worth nothing when YouTube really dominated the marketplace. Um, Colin, you're hitting on such an important point. I think we, we, we get to timing um, by understanding the market, the product, uh, the market and the product. Um, and, and we really help teams kind of evaluate uh, our, it's called the, the, I call it uh, the Goldilocks zone, right? You don't want to be too early. You don't want to be too late because the incumbents are already there and, and they're dominating, especially if you've got network effects built into the business. Uh, but, but you're exactly right. Timing is such an important variable for any team. And um, yeah, we, we, we try to flush that out by looking at the product in the market that you're competing in, evaluating the marketplace, your, your total addressable market, your serviceable addressable market, and then, and then peeling back that onion a little bit to make sure that you're kind of in that sweet spot, not too early, not too yeah. late, but that you're, you're, and nobody gets it right. Right. It's like, well, the I tunnel vision's around the idea. It's almost always around the idea. the idea is beautiful. We have this grand idea. We can come up with things that <laughs> I've learned is that ideas are a dime a dozen. I mean, they really are. I hate to say it. Like, I know everybody thinks their ideas, Absolutely. but like, my ideas are fucking wonderful. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, they could be wonderful, but again, it's not about the idea, it's about the execution. And execution is almost always like, lacking. Again, <laughs> it's not just lacking, it's it's mostly about timing. I would say that if you have a great enough idea and the timing's right and you're using the right stuff, you will find people who can execute on your behalf or you can just walk away from it. It will still get launched. Here's the thing, Colin. And we have and I'm guilty of this. You're I bet you're guilty of this. I bet Corey is guilty of this. We all think our ideas are wonderful. The greatest thing since sliced bread. And what founders typically do is they fall in love with the idea. They don't fall in love with the customer. I see this, especially in this ecosystem, time and time again. There, there is, uh, th there has been up, up until this point a lack of focus on the end customer. And your customer can be developers, your customer can be enterprises, they can be the end consumers. Um, but you've got to put your customer at the core of your product or your idea and solve an actual problem for them. If you don't do that, uh, I, it, you know, we all romanticize about our ideas. I've had tons of ideas that I spent tons of time on that went absolutely nowhere. My very first company, I, 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 right now, today in 2019, the idea that I originally had is just now starting to get legs. Uh, that, that's how early I was. I didn't have the technical chops uh, and I was way too early to the idea. It's just now starting, starting to get traction. It, it I know how that feels entirely. <laughs> so that's the only reason I got into the decentralization space is because I realized that the key components, so like, it's, like, it's like I was trying to build a YouTube before everybody had broadband. You know, the infrastructure wasn't there to support it. Not only that, but I was trying to build a YouTube before everybody had, you know, uh, before you had like the ability to do mass scale distributed, you know, uh, yeah. file storage, you know what I mean? Um, uh, on demand, you know, like grow and scale your, your storage, your files it, and you know, all the, all these things like Cassandra and stuff like they, they didn't exist when some of these original YouTube ideas yeah. came out. Well, mine was the same way. Yeah. So I think, I think um, one of the, problems I'm also noticing and one of the things that I've seen quite a bit and I was wondering if you could speak to this real briefly sure. is the idea of putting the uh, the platform before the app mm -hmm. so kind of the cart before the horse and that everybody wants to build a platform everybody yeah. wants to build a platform right. um, but Amazon started out as a bookstore yeah they didn't stay a bookstore they didn't yeah. stay you know Barnes and Noble but they yeah. started out as a bookstore and the important part of that and the reason this ties into what you're saying earlier is because it's about the customer yeah. And you need to, and, and in my opinion, you kind of need to start on a focused group to test that idea. 
how do you see people who approach you and say, I have this grand idea for a platform um, <laughs> and they have absolutely no customer in mind? Yeah, it happens all the time. So he here's the thing with building a platform or building a marketplace business, which I would argue, um, you know, Amazon is, um, we actually have a number of companies that are marketplace businesses, marketplace businesses. Uh, once that flywheel gets going, the network effects uh, create, create like a, a, um, a virtuous cycle, right? So as you bring, uh, especially when you're doing uh, market matching, uh, you're bringing uh, either two uh, customers together on, on your platform or a, a, a multi-sided marketplace. Uh, you really start to benefit from network effects. It creates a, a virtuous cycle and a flywheel. Um, but bootstrapping an ecosystem like that is extremely insanely fucking difficult. Everybody comes yeah. with a big idea yeah. at first <laughs> of like one day we're going to be the X, Y, Z of, you know, fill in the blank. And, um, and those are great ambitions. And, and I think every founder needs to have a really big ambitious vision of what the world's going to look like when they, when they finish their product and when they get it there. But what I tell founders all the time, I spent the first, six months at consensus consulting uh, most of our uh, most of the startups within the marketplace or within our ecosystem and, and portfolio and i tell them all the time if you if you want to get big get small first uh find either niche markets or a a, a small feature uh that uh is not your entire idea it's one element of the idea uh but try multiple iterations of it to that initial customer base and see if you can get traction. If you get track, like even if you're, you know, even within our space, you know, e even if I'm, um, you know, if, if I'm, uh, you know, a, uh, a decentralized lender in the ecosystem, uh, uh, you know, you might want to bootstrap a marketplace by first being the backstop, by being the lender of last resort for a small group of borrowers who are borrowing against your uh, your protocol, right? Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. We, we, we can have really big ambitions and we should have really big ambitions, but you you need to get real market feedback um, from, from customers or who you think your potential customers are in order to validate the idea. Once, at least the core feature, if you think it's the killer feature, test it, find the, the, the lowest hanging fruit, the, the MVP version within your market or your business that you can test and put in front of the customer, uh, and, uh, and get validation, uh, first, once you've got validation, I think then we can talk about growing the, the marketplace or growing the idea. And, and there's a lot of ways to do so that. I want to, I want to try to Okay, go ahead. I Sorry, I, I can... Colin gets carried away really easily. <laughs> I love it. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> but also, he's like, I don't know. I think Colin also has a lot of experience in this. And so he has a lot of like feelings and passion around it, which is really mm -hmm. good. But I want to, I want to kind of, before we move on from that, say that, yeah, you need to focus on a specific part um, mm -hmm. in order to get that traction or get that bootstrapping. Um, but in order to grow, you need to do it in such a way in which it can expand quickly. Like it needs to be scalable from the start or generalizable enough from the start that you can then capture multiple markets outside of the one you initiate with. Right. And I think that's, I think that most people, at least in this space that I've seen are starting out way too broad and then yeah. not never going narrow. They're just trying to do it all at once as opposed to narrowing your focus getting that initial kind of like bootstrapping. And then, and then refinement of the of how it works, and then expanding into the, the like what your what you like what kind of what you just said, what your initial idea was set out to do. Yeah, I mean, Corey, that, I mean, you nailed it, right? Like, it's it's very easy to find those corollary markets uh, or adjacent markets next to the one that you've kind of tapped into, uh, and you can expand your platform from, from there. I mean, there are tons of of 
great case studies. PayPal, you did it. Uh, Colin, you brought up Amazon earlier. They started out in books, right? Uh, PayPal started out in Beanie Babies. They were they were the payment solutions for Beanie Babies. Oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you guys remember those. Link, I, link, but, their whole business model like evolved only yes. because they could send links to eBay people. That's right. And, and, yeah. and that's like, like that's how they hold the whole thing started. Like <laughs> literally links to people in eBay. That's how oh, yeah. they got network effects. Like by the way, we are. We are completely dating ourselves uh, on on this podcast, uh, but yeah. yes, I mean that that was their entire business for like a year and a half, and then they found the ancillary markets around it, and they kept nibbling. And here's the thing, right? Like, and I, I um, I love. Well, they got capture, by the way. They got their capture, which was good. Correct. That's essential. Like you got to know your customer. And That's right. They did that. And they learned who their customer was, and they built products that the customer really wanted. I think um, it is really it's a lot easier to to get deep market penetration into a small uh, marketplace than it is to go really really broad and uh, and try to peel off uh, small smaller. Um, smaller market share when your incumbents are already there. When you're a startup, your incumbents can outspend you because they are well capitalized, they're well organized, they have much bigger teams than you, they have armies of developers, and it's really, really hard uh, to go after really big, broad marketplaces. But if you can find a really small marketplace, I love finding marketplaces, by the way, that are underserved, where my incumbents just don't give a shit about them. They're, you know, they're the the whiners or the bitchers, the you know the 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 forum posters. I love those initial customers. I, I love trying to build build products and services around them because nobody builds products and services around them. Can I get an example of that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, if you look at um, Lending Club is a great great example. I've got a good friend who was uh, who was at Lending Club when they first bootstrapped. Uh, they were going after subprime lenders. No traditional banks wanted to talk to subprime lenders, and they were building the peer to peer network. Uh, uh, for that for that subprime uh, personal loans uh, ecosystem, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a perfect example, and yeah, you know, correlated to to what we're I think what we're trying to do within the open finance community on uh, on Ethereum. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it it's trying to find it's it's trying to think about your marketplace and find customer segments um, that are either underserved or um, or where your incumbents are not spending a lot of time. Here's on. an issue with that that I think um, a lot of people face. Most of the people, at least if we keep ourselves confined within the, the cryptocurrency or DLT or blockchain space, sure. are engineers and lack the requisite skills to do stuff like that. Yeah. How do we fix that? Um, I, I mean, there, we don't need to reinvent the wheel, right? There, there are lots of um, there are lots of things that we can borrow from Web two. Uh, trying to find a co-founder who is. Uh, you know, technical, but growth oriented or customer acquisition oriented or business development oriented, um, uh, going to meetups and, and trying to find, you know, corollary ancillary um, companies where you can where you can trade customers or trade email lists or, you know, uh, you know, work in a, a consortium way and you know, scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. There are lots of ways to try to try to get that done. It really depends on. Um, it, it depends on the, the developer. It depends on the founder. I mean, the the um, one of the hardest things to do is to go from thinking about you know being a developer and thinking about your your product and being product focused to starting to build a company. Um, and I, I would argue the difference between a product and a company is a customer. Um, and so um, you know, making that transition, you, you've got to find. Uh, 
you you've got to find your most natural path to starting to transition to company building uh, when you start getting into the the, the startup uh, ecosystem. Trying to think on how like, I'm trying to like, ruminate on that a bit. The difference between a product and a company is the customer. Can you elaborate on that? Sorry, my mic was muted that whole time. <laughs> oh, I even forgot what I was going to say now because I'm so frustrated. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, go ahead, Corey. Yeah. Can I go ahead. elaborate? Yeah. Yeah, there are so many aspects that go into building a company, right? And uh, when you're in the early stages, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're in fun, unless you're bootstrapping, you're, you're, you've got to think about fundraising. You've got to think about, um, your product development. You've got to think about your, the state, <clears throat> the stage of your product, uh, and how you get initial customers. You've got to think about, uh, your company formation, um, and what goes into that, which is, you know, legal. You've got to think about your accounting and, um, and what's going to go into that. Um, you know, there, there's so many elements that go into building a company that are very different than building a product. Um, and you, those are just things that you need to, you need to consider, but at the heart of all of that, um, unless you're in pure R and D at the heart of that is the customer because the customer is the one paying the bills, right? The customer is the one that's exchanging money or value, uh, for whatever, uh, good or service your, your product provides. And, uh, so I would argue um, the, the customers at the core, at the center of, um, of, a, of your company, uh, which is making that transition from being product oriented to um, customer oriented is um, it's a weird feeling. It's a weird transition for, for most people who, who, um, uh, who are not used to uh, building companies or, or in being involved in the startup ecosystem. So if you don't have that skill set yourself, I, I would say find a co-founder who does have that and not just has it, but like actually likes it. Um, I think it's extremely, extremely important. And, so and we see that's the thing is like finding that co-founder, like every, so here's the, the, my experience, every single person who has that tends to want an engineer more than the engineers want them. Yeah. Meaning that there's like for every solid engineer with a good product and the ability to execute, there's about 10 business guys willing to throw themselves yeah. at you, trying to tell you that they are the <laughs> next big, you know, uh, Bill Gates motherfucker that's, uh, you know, and like, and, and, and like you're sitting there, I mean, like, so there's two things that I want to ask. What do you yeah. look for a co-founder? And more importantly, I believe, yeah. prior to getting your co-founder, I believe yeah. that as an engineer, if you're going to start a company, what do you look for in a mentor? Because mm. a mentor has lower risk and can help you vet a higher quality co-founder, which would take a higher equity stake and would have more, yeah. more risk associated okay. with it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So you're, you're actually hitting on a really, really good point. So, um, for, so for your first question, uh, what's to look for? You're, you're absolutely right. I don't know why that dynamic is. Why are there t 10 business guys for, for everyone to or engineer? Oh, it's a lot more work to become a good engineer. It, that's it's true. <laughs> yeah, that's a company in of itself. We should try to figure out how to solve that problem. Um, uh, Dating I site. <laughs> they have the like engineers can only they talk do. with business they, women. They, they they miserably. No, I, I think I, I, this is my personal opinion. I am biased. I think um, I think you should not start a company with somebody unless you have multiple cycles of working with them and building things with them, 
and there's a lot of trust there and that you know this person is going this is somebody that you want to have your back in the trenches with you i, I don't well, that care conflicts what you said earlier and see this is a problem a lot of engineers don't socialize with the guys you're asking them that to socialize with so then we get to your se second question so so i, I want to answer the, the first one uh which is i think i think trust is probably the biggest variable um secondarily would be you need complementary skill sets uh and um uh and so that that's kind of the ideal uh match but if if you and your co-founder are, are both technical in nature i think as opposed to looking for a business oriented um co-founder i think you can get a lot of leverage from a mentor or advisor and that was that's such a great point colin i'm, I'm glad you brought that up i think a a a, a mentor and or advisor who truly believes in in your idea sh should should do this without an incentive mechanism. Obviously, you can bring them on as an advisor and, and compensate them in equity, and uh, if that's something that you choose to do later on or down the road. But um, I think you want to find mentors and advisors who one uh, have traveled down the path that you're looking to to travel down. You, you don't want. I don't think you want to find a mentor or advisor at least in the early stages that's too far ahead of uh, you. I think it's really good to find advisors or mentors who are maybe three or four steps ahead of of where where you are. It's just really hard to go back and remember what it's like when you like were just getting going and you didn't have traction and you didn't know what you were doing. Um I think I think um uh you know an advisor who is is three or four steps ahead of you. They remember it. They they were just there, you know, three years ago or four years ago or five years ago, and, and they 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 remember what steps and in what sequence you need to take in order to get to where you're going. Um, I think a, a a really good mentor has a network. Um, they can open doors, right? And and that really speaks to whether or not they think you've got a good idea. If you've got an advisor on board and they're not opening their network to you, it means they don't want to <laughs> have the relationship risk, which means they. Yeah, they don't really think either the team or the product or the market is the right fit. Um, so, I, I, you know, a, a good mentor or advisor is somebody who who has a Rolodex and can open up that Rolodex to you and actively tries to open up that Rolodex for you. Um, I think you know beyond that, there there are other things that that uh, that a, a good mentor or advisor can bring to the table, but that really helps kind of. Uh, grease the wheels for technical founders who lack a little bit of that business acumen. That that's something that you can learn on the job. I mean, you know, if if you can learn, uh, you know, JavaScript or Python or any any coding language, um, you know, you, you can learn business operations. You can learn, you know, Delaware LLCs. You can learn right cap table management. These are things that are not outside of your uh, your potential to to learn and acquire that knowledge. Um, you just might need a little bit of guidance and help, and and so, uh, yeah, I'm I'm really glad you brought that up. That, that's a great point. Um, I, I think I think in the co-founder, the, the co-founder thing is the thing that you want to get first. Um, if you're going to have a co-founder, now I'm a big believer that company building because it's so fucking hard and so lonely and so uh, so difficult. I think it's good to have a co-founder. Um, I think it's really really important that you have somebody that that you really trust. Obviously, they've got to have skill sets, but um, I think trust is probably the biggest variable there. And we've seen time and time again, you know, uh, founder uh, matchmaking fall apart when shit starts to hit the fan. And it always does um, because there, there, there weren't enough cycles of, of those founders having gone through this together to know that they could trust one another, to know that the other person was going to be there through, through thick and thin. Yeah, and it's not just about thick or thin. It's just about are they competent? Like, like, uh, so incentivization models are built so that you don't have to worry so much. 
yeah. about thick or thin. Like if they're in for 15% and they believe in the idea, then then they're gonna like want to maximize their profit potential. Ideally, I know it doesn't work necessarily like that in practice, but are they yeah. are they are they like competent? It's just something you want to believe in. You know, you want to believe in this person you're working with. I think is probably a, a yeah. I I have seen a number of teams in uh, in companies that have both been successful and a lot who have been uh, who have been unsuccessful, where the founders are both competent but they hate each other's fucking guts. And and money <laughs> money really Ooh. was the thing was the thing that got in the way. No, I'm not naming names. <laughs> um, but but that incentive mechanism didn't solve that. And and you saw what could have been a really great company not reach its full potential because the founders didn't trust one another. Uh, and the 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 money the cap table issues actually exacerbated the, the problems and exacerbated the, the distrust. Yeah. Um, so I you know I'd actually I'd probably push back on that a little bit. You're right. You do want somebody that's competent, <clears throat> but if if you're building a company and you, and you're going to invest the next five to seven years of your life into something, uh, I would argue you want to do it with somebody that you that you trust that's going to be in the trenches with you. I got you. I get you. So uh, you got to like them. In other words, you got to like who you work with. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, trust. and trust is a foundation trust. of liking yeah. someone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, if you hate, if you hate working with them, you're not going to enjoy it. So <laughs> your life's going to be miserable. Well, yeah, I get it. Colin, Colin, how, how, Colin, how are you and Corey's relationship? Is, is this is this something that we're oh, Corey's a brother guy. fucking son of a bitch? Are you kidding me, dude? This guy. This I'm guy. I'm the best. I'm the best. This guy always leaves the toilet seat down. It drives me absolutely crazy. Down? Uh, Isn't that what people want? Only if you're a woman. Uh, Do I look like a woman to you, Corey? No comments. <laughs> abort. Abort. <laughs> Wrong conversation for this day and age. Anyway, um, uh, no, I, uh, um, I, I, uh, I think uh, you know our, our relationship's actually really, really good. We, we've, uh, we've kind yeah, of gone really through a but yeah, yeah um, really we got a rapport, and, and it's helpful. So it, yeah. it means it, it, it definitely causes it, it allows us to bypass friction. Yeah, having that rapport in the decision making process. Yeah, you can hear just in the way that you guys interact, and and I think pe people can can sniff that out, especially if you're on the investor VC side of the table. You can smell when a founding mm. team uh, isn't really getting along. That makes and, a lot of sense. Yeah, and I I will tell you there there have been companies that I've seen. Uh, you know, I mean, part of this I was at a company called VaynerX, and and uh, I was running growth for some incubated companies and. I, there are companies that I have seen where uh, I, I've seen I've seen the managing director, managing partner walk away from writing a check into them because you could tell that the founders were not getting along and and money would definitely only exacerbate the problem. Um, and look, if you're if you're on the investment side of the equation, you're, you're trying to de-risk your your investment, right? Uh, so yeah, it's I think it's a it's a massively undervalued um, component to startup success. So something that, that uh, I think you could do a, like a five to 10 minute crash course on maybe um, that would, it's, it's scary to engineers, I feel, mm. is the, uh, the, you know, the difference between things like common and preferred stock and what the, 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 the funding cycles are. Um, and, and since most of our audience is engineers, a lot of them might know this, but a lot of them might not. And it might be very helpful to them to just get a quick rundown on that stuff. Yeah, I, I, I probably wouldn't get too deep into the mechanics. Um, there's tons of resources out there and, uh, and accelerators aren't, aren't necessarily just investment vehicles. They're, they're really, um, they're built around mentorship and programming and, 
and helping helping companies go from zero to one. Um, I, I would say, at, you know, if we if we just keep a thirty thousand foot uh, view, um, you know, you've got uh, you've got your common prefer you've got your common shares and then you've got your preferred shares. The, the preferred typically is is higher up in the in the capital stack. Um, right before the debt component, if there's any debt component. And so um, typically uh, venture capitalists will um, write, uh, underwrite notes into the company uh, that convert into preferred shares um, as you move into your follow-on funding. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of really great resources. In fact, I can pull them up and send them to you guys if you want to include them in the show notes. That'd be great. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure I, I do that uh, coming off the back of this so we can include that for your audience. Uh, yeah, no, that'd be but, fantastic. Yeah, but it, but accelerators are really, um, you know, and, and well, I can speak about TACAN. I guess I won't talk about everybody. Um, you know, You're also talking to a guy who turned down two accelerator programs. So, <laughs> Fair enough. Eight <laughs> like, percent for thirty grand did not feel right. I'm we sorry. should we should definitely have this discussion because I I you know I, I'll dog food what I'm what I'm saying. I you know understand your customer. Um, Tachyon's program, we invest uh, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars into a company in exchange for seven percent. Uh, that's uh, th that's kind of like high level. Uh, how our program works. Um, it's uh, it's a 12 week program, and then um, coming out of the program, uh, we introduce you to investors that we think could be good uh, good fits, uh, and and kind of get you ready for your first um, uh, fundraising, uh, Series A fundraising. Um, so yeah, uh, but yeah, I would love to understand, Colin, uh, why you've turned down accelerators. What what was the uh, what was the key key reason? Um, okay, so if I go to an accelerator and I go, what are you giving me? And they go, um, we are going to give you um, free hosting. I go, okay, that's 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 nice, but yeah, <laughs> that's nice. Um, do you know how much hosting I actually need? They go, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I go, okay, well, I'm actually looking at storing, you know, several terabytes of files, right? <laughs> and, you know, globally. And then they go, oh, yeah. we can support that, no problem. And I go, do you know what that means? And they go, no. Yeah. Um, okay. Then they're asking for eight, eight to ten percent of my company. One was eight, one was ten. Both were offering thirty grand. Um, now I got these offers as a result of winning first place in a startup competition. Well, one of the offers is a result of a startup competition. Yeah. Um, and so like there was like four hundred entrants. I got first place. All right. Yeah. Yay, yeah. Me. Awesome. All right. Um, but like you know, it's a it's a uh, it's a it's pitch elevator pitch competition. So yeah. they're they're only interested in like. You know, can you can you make people excited for twelve seconds, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah a minute. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, that's cute and all, but like, uh, <clears throat> so then you go to them. Okay, well, what else do you have to offer? And they go, well, we have legal team. I go, okay, what's your legal team's like, like background? And they go, well, startups. And I go, okay, what kind of startups? What kind? <laughs> yeah. So really, what it comes down to is like most accelerator programs are absolute fucking shit. Yeah. yeah. And um, if you're experienced, I'm going I'm I'm to go ahead and name names, and it might get me in trouble. Oh I man, I want nothing to do with this. <laughs> I, I, I was not a big fan of what Hatch was doing in 2013. I cannot speak to what they're doing now. Cool. Um, so I will say that at, at that at that time period, I was kind of like not into it. Um, yeah. And um, I'm sure that they are a very good good fit for other programs, but for me, they were not. Um, and so um, there's other things that like, you know, sometimes an accelerator program doesn't necessarily like if somebody's coming to you with something that might on a side way, like use like a payment mechanism that's Ethereum or something like that. But they also got this other thing that's like, like Ethereum is like a small part and yet they're coming into yeah. like your accelerator program 
um, or yeah. anything in consensus, like that would be kind of like not a good fit for what they're doing. And so I had another one, which I, I didn't actually get the offer from them, which is good for them. They should not. Um, it was Mach 33, but I did get to the final round. Um, so it's, um, you know, things like that. I, I'm sorry, Mach 33, Mach 31, whatever. Um, they're, they're a security-based, um, like, uh, accelerator program out of, out of D.C. area, uh, funded through CIT. So, like, they are, they, they're a really good program. I really like what yeah. they're doing if you're a security person. So there's yeah. a lot of reasons why you don't take an accelerator program. Yeah. And yeah. it has very little to do with, like, well, I will say that eight percent for thirty grand. If you have a billion dollar idea, that's the worst deal on the planet. It feels like if you feel like you have a billion dollar idea, the problem is most people don't. Um, yeah. And so, so well, there's a lot going. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're hitting on a really important point, and and uh, I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna shill our program quickly. Um, uh, I have a follow up question when you're done here, based on your program. Okay. Okay. Accelerators founders come to accelerator programs for two things, and really two things only. The first is capital, right? Uh, and uh, and everybody who has access to capital can can write that check. The second thing that founders, I think, come to uh, accelerator programs for is a network, a network of experts who understand the ecosystem that you're playing in, that have the contacts, uh, that have the advisors, that have the subject matter experts that can help you go from zero to one. I mean, if you look, if you're uh, if your audience goes to our website, uh, the the Tycan website, they'll see our our list of mentors. I mean, people like Eric Tang, co-founder, uh, CTO of Life Peer, Alex Soon, co-founder of Set Protocol, uh, Jack Purdy, research analyst of, at Masari.io, David Marin, co-founder of Coven. Uh, I mean, not only the internal experts, I know you guys had um, Steve from C. Dilly on uh, not too long ago, mm -hmm. uh, consensus, consensus Diligence. C. Dilly. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, sorry, sorry in, internal baseball. Uh, I mean, you know, end to end throughout the entire ecosystem, I don't care if you're, if you're as long as you're building an, an Ethereum or cross-chain company that's focused on open finance, and I can, I can talk to what open finance means, um, end to end, whether your customer is enterprise or the developer community, if you're building on layer two, layer three, layer four, I mean, we have the expertise and that expertise is extremely helpful when you're at an early stage and you need to go from zero to one. Uh, a, 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 a network opens doors where, uh, where it could take you months or years uh, to, to, to get the, that door open. And that's really the value of any accelerator program. So I will stop shilling Tachyon for a second. Uh, well, I have a on... question based on that. Like, yes, uh, please. You, you actually answered it the exact way I, wa I wanted you to answer it because my question is what you just said is perfect for marketing. You have all of these people. Consensus definitely has the expertise, but I know a lot of those people and they're very busy. How much bandwidth can they allocate to you for various startups, especially if you start to grow? Yeah. Uh, so the way that, that our program is built, it, it's around three stages. Um, and we, we drop in the experts depending on where your company is, what stage of uh, company, uh, 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 what stage of the cycle you're in uh, and what we need. Um, bandwidth, um, really, it, we have our, our mentor network, both internal and external mentor network, um, come in, in in a number of different ways. Some of them uh, really work with companies uh, based on one-on-one -on -one mentoring situations. So those are weekly phone calls. Okay, what's going on? Where are you? What's happening? What challenges are you having? Okay, here's what I think you should do, et cetera. Um, other uh, of our mentors come in, uh, you know, C. Dilly comes in when uh, consensus diligence comes in. Uh, when there's a specific question around 
you know, your security token that you need answered or uh, you need uh, assistance going through, uh, you know, you're, you're on testnet and, uh, and you need some security audits. And so we'll bring in CDILI at that point for that specific uh, use case or need. Um, we have other founders who have gone through Number one, uh, they, they are happy to introduce you to uh, their VCs who invested in them. Um, hopefully you would talk to the Consensus Ventures uh, as well, uh, but, uh, but who have gone through how you position your startup and what that pitch deck needs to look like for this particular VC that you've got a meeting with next week or in two weeks. Uh, and then we'll go through rounds of pitch practice. So the bandwidth is not set bandwidth. It's not you know one size fits all. It's really, uh, we, we built and curated a program <clears throat> around uh, pulling in the, the, uh, the various people within our network based on where that particular company is and what's needed. As far as how the, pr the program is structured, it's really structured in three phases. The first is we sit down with teams and really understand coming through the door, um, you know, what's the, what's the problem, what's the market, and what's your solution within, within, uh, within that market. Um, and really spend a lot of time to make sure founders understand their, their market, understand the customers, what the pain points are for that particular customer base within that market, make sure that it's a large enough addressable market. Um, and then once we once we feel like and that's done with the teams and some of the various uh, mentors within the network once we once we feel like we've kind of crossed that phase then we move into traction and growth we spend a lot of time with these companies making sure that uh, they don't build in a bubble but that they're actually getting out of the building talking to their customers and starting to get early signs of traction and growth uh, uh, lastly coming into phase three um, we spend a lot of time with our founders on the uh, the fundraising side of things, storytelling, uh, pitch practice, preparing your deck, um, and, and getting ready to go raise a professional capital. I mean, if, if you're going to be in this ecosystem, um, you, you, need, you need and you want, I think, external market signals. I mean, I, I, a lot of what Tachyon has been built around is helping really smart technical founders get external validation. And there's a lot of ways that you can get external validation. Sometimes it's through your customers. Sometimes it's through mentors and advisors. Sometimes it's through your ability to raise capital uh, and continue to grow and scale your company. Um, but I, I think especially in this ecosystem, we've turned the corner. Uh, and, and a lot of the companies that I think are, are that you're starting to see get a lot of progress and traction um, have built valuable solutions for real customers. And, and I think that's that's really at the heart of of really any company, but especially our ecosystem. I, I, I think we, we're, we're definitely there. We, we've turned that corner. Let's, let's ask you to ruminate then. Um, like, I would say, or would you say, a good portion of all of the ICOs have failed to deliver because they didn't go through this process. Um, they raised a tremendous amount of funding in a short amount of time. That gave them a potentially long runway, depending on how they use those funds. Yeah. But they didn't have all of the extra things outside of capital to then execute that vision. Um, so it was a, it was, it was one. It was a beautiful shift into crowdsourcing your potential customer base, potentially yeah. bootstrapping that customer base, and getting funding for then building that thing. But you didn't have all the extra things required to then execute on it appropriately. And then we've moved kind of maybe through the narrative of regulation back into that VC thing that happened beforehand, which is how you typically raise things and then got things built in the first place. Is that the middle ground or was the ICO phase of raising capital just dumb? I, so, um, <laughs> I, I know, I know our, our, our PR team would love it if I would say no comment, but I'll give you my personal opinion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
um, I, ICOs are, I think Fred Wilson wrote a great piece around this. I, ICOs are helpful in, in attracting a lot of capital into an ecosystem so that you can build the, uh, build the ecosystem and, and develop around it. But it is speculative in nature, right? I mean, that's, that's and I think a lot of the ICOs that we saw um, were, were speculative in nature. I think, um, you know, as, as those uh, speculative mechanisms start to tamper down because of, because of the market mechanisms, I think what you see is there, needs to, there, there starts to be a shift and a focus on, okay, outside of, uh, you, know, the, the, uh, you know, the opportunity for me to get rich here uh, via this ICO, what can we actually use this technology for? What is it good for? Are there real, uh, uh, are there real market segments where, blockchain has an unfair competitive advantage or a token has an unfair competitive advantage relative to uh, my options. And, and what are those unfair competitive advantages? And then how do you build a company around them? Or how do you build a product around those unfair competitive advantages? And so I, I, think, I think what we saw through the ICO craze was, and again, this is my personal opinion, but I think we saw uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people coming into the ecosystem who saw this as a way to get rich. Um, and it was all driven, a lot of it was driven by speculation. And there's nothing wrong with speculation. I, I have, you know, no opinion one, one way or the other with speculation. But, um, you know, as somebody who's spent a large part of his career trying to build uh, companies, um, I think you've, we've got to turn the corner and, and start thinking about um, what are the, what are the products, services that we can create using the technology, the underlying technology that can add value to real customers? That's my personal opinion. Speaking of, of some technology stuff, I, I have one. I have a hard stop in a, in a little bit, but I, I really, I'm sorry about that. No um, but um, it, I, I really have one question that was kind of a major barrier to me, and I think it might be mm. a major barrier to a subset of our audience, although most of them might not be. Mm. Um, what is the value of patents? So one of the questions I was asked very frequently, and if you look, watch, if, if you grew up watching like, if you watch Shark Tank or something like that, like I guess yeah. people now are going to be growing up watching that that's, that uh, stuff. It makes He's, you cringe. I agree. <laughs> um, but one of the things they ask is, is patents, and I still actually believe that patents have value. I'm one of those people that believe that they were set up for a Just, reason, and I still think they have value. But uh, one of the things that uh, like investors would ask is like, do you have a patent for this? But the problem mm. is that if you file a patent for something in the United States, <clears throat> it is not protected internationally. And when you have an internet company, that internationally part matters because yeah. they can just spin it up in Estonia. Yeah. Um, so what I wanna know is like, um, what do you feel about patents as somebody who's in, in the in, you know investment side of things, knowing that it takes $150,000 to get like most technology stacks patented, 50 yeah. grand, three patents, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, what, is, what do you think? I'm I'm a big believer and proponent in open source. Um, you know, I, I think um, you know I, I think a, a, myself and a lot of people in, included in consensus and, and even outside of consensus within this ecosystem uh, are big believers in uh, you know in open source and in commons uh, and and systems and infrastructure that um, you know that are that are value add without without creating. Um, artificial barriers to entry. Uh, and so um, I, I, I personally don't have a strong opinion on, uh, on patents, um, but, I, but I, I do believe in the open source ecosystem and movement. Uh, I think it's, it, it's done a lot more good 
and and there are a number of like really solid enterprise companies that you can look at that are that are open source. Um, you know, Atlassian comes to mind, but uh, GitHub obviously. But um, uh, yeah, I, I I don't have a uh, I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on podcasts and, and TV. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, uh, I don't I don't have a uh, a legal opinion on patents. But m- my personal opinion is 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 I'm a big believer in in open source. And I think there are ways that you can value capture, um, even in an open source community. I'd make that reasonable just based on like, I don't know the way. I mean, a lot of people say that, but a lot of technology, you know, once you give it away, that's the sum of your product, you know, it is the product, you know what I mean? And that's, that's yeah. kind of where it's, it's, it's like, it's like, okay, you came up with, so for instance, yeah, you came up with a new way to, uh, uh package, like, I'm trying to do something more concrete. It's a, a new way to package something, okay? You could do something very similar in software. Yeah. Like, pr- it, it does protect people. Yeah, but <clears> I would argue, that. I'd argue that, um, let's, let's ask it's the person who's, who's dealt with this more. Uh, what's more uncommon, a person that can do something or the thing that they've built? Mm. Like, in my opinion, based on the way technology has moved, it isn't about the technology that you have. It's the person that can implement it or the team that can perform it. And more often than not, it's better to be the professional that's capable of doing something than to own the thing that they built. I, p- patents to me is the, um, again, personal opinion here, patents to me is the equivalent of um, if a founder comes to me and says, hey, I got this great idea. It's absolutely mind-boggling great. It's going to blow your fucking mind. But before I tell you about it, I need you to sign an NDA. And, um, uh, you know, t- to your point earlier, Colin, I think it was you, Colin, that said, you know, ideas are a dime a dozen. Execution is everything. Um, and well, Maybe patents are a limited subset of execution. If well, the reason you get a patent that. is so you can talk about it, so you don't need to sign an NDA. Yeah, I mean, again... Um, I have one. Yeah. I'm never going to use it. There's a lot of damage to patents too. We talked with Andrew Polstra and he said, the, you know, the main reason everything is built on ECDSA was because Schnorr signatures was patented for so long and people mm. couldn't, people couldn't create open source libraries of it mm. when potentially short Schnorr signatures are just a much better technology. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, again, I, uh, I I don't have a strong uh, opinion on patents. Um, uh, I, I'm just not the biggest fan of artificial barriers to entry. Uh, I understand why they're necessary, and I understand um, why people why why they served good and why people use them and and have used them in the past. But um, you know, I, uh, I I like. I like natural market mechanisms more than more than artificial barriers to, to entry. Makes sense. Me too. Yeah. yeah. No, a lot of investors ask me that question. So I was just like, okay, I have to get a patent. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> from, the, from the investor standpoint, I think the thing that, that investors yeah. really, really struggle with are, uh, you know, how do you value capture uh, when you're building on, on the back? How do you deal with competition in this, in this market? Yeah. How, why can't someone just spin this off and do the exact same thing? Or why can't I, based on listening right. to what you just told me? Why can't I fork this thing and uh, right and, and spin up my own version? So uh, you know, there there are a lot of challenges um, when when we start thinking about you know the web two you know VC value capture mechanisms and how they apply within this ecosystem. But um, I, I think you got to compete, right? Like, <laughs> all right, let's 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 uh, we can we can probably start to wrap this up. I know Colin has to leave, so I'll probably just give you the like the typical yeah, question. I, I, 
Sorry, I screwed up with my uh, room reservation here. So okay. I, I put it on my personal calendar instead of the one I'm at. So I had to ask the guy who actually booked it if he would like bow down. But that means I don't get the extra 15 minutes I had on there. So yeah. So like, right. um, if you could give maybe like a like some ideas as to big problems people have when trying to make the leap from I have an idea to I need to build a business around it, like some just some high level things like you need to do this. Most people screw this up. Mm. <clears throat> um, yeah, I think, uh, first I would say really understand the market, right? This goes back to something that we were talking about earlier and I, and I hate to keep harping on it, but it, but it really is that important. Um, you, you need to really understand the market that you are in, who the customers are in that market, um, what their problems really are, not the ones that they might tell you they are or the solutions that they think you should uh, solve for them, but like what's what's the core underlying problem? And there's a whole alphabet soup of like understanding this. You can, uh, you know, look at the TAM that you're in, the SAM, the SOM. Um, I, don't, I don't think any of that is important, but um, uh, coming out of that, I think um, the, really the most important thing is you, you got to get out of the building. You're, you're, the velocity of interactions that you have with customers is probably the most valuable thing that you can do. Um, and so um, I think that's the biggest thing that I see early stage startups and founders, the biggest mistake that they make is they don't spend enough time getting out of the building, having those customer interactions, understanding those problems um, and, and understanding how they're going to create a, a solution for those customers and then really validating those ideas as, as early and as, as often as possible. Yep. We build tools for people, you know, that's not, such not a great for... way of putting it. Yes. <clears throat> that's exactly right. Uh -uh. Yeah, we... <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Yes. That's definitely the way to look at yeah, it. At the, at the end of your technology is, is a, is a person usually. Um, and, um, and I, I think you need to build around that. Right on. Uh, my obvious, my, my last question that I tend to ask people, um, is there something that, uh, you would have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Um, oh man. Uh, I don't know. We went all, all around the board. <laughs> That's how it goes. We hash it all out, man. Uh, no, I, this has been a lot of fun. I think, um, uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think, I think we, we hit on, on a lot of things. Um, the, maybe the last thing is where people can find out more information about uh, Tachyon yeah. uh, would be the last thing. Uh, yeah, you, you can come and find us at uh, labs.consensus.net slash Tachyon, T-A-T-H-Y-O-N. Um, we've got uh, office hours if you're interested in, in, uh, uh, in finding out more. Uh, there's a link on our website where you can sign up for office hours. Um, you can spend a little bit of time with, uh, with the team. I uh, asked some questions. Uh, we're really interested in finding uh, and speaking to uh, uh, co-founders here working on this company. Just to kind of Great. Thanks for your time. Thank Thanks you so a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks, yeah. Colin. Thanks, Corey. Happy to